you for this chance to, to gather, to celebrate you, to reveal in your love, and to root ourselves in your word. As we share today, may your word be living and active in our lives. May it, may it speak right into our hearts. May it be planted and may it bear fruit, fruit that lasts. In Jesus' name we ask all these things, Father. Amen. Amen. Well, it's fantastic to see you. If, not, if we've uh, not met before, my name's Josh. Uh, I'm a friend of Pastor Rod's here. I pastor a church up in Mill Hill in northwest London, really far away. We can see Wembley Stadium from where we are. Um, and I, I'm a Man United fan. I enjoyed a little bit thinking as I looked at Wembley Stadium last night that Tottenham were losing to Juventus. Um, but Rod and Karen are currently in America for the Harvest Net Conference, so we pray that they'd have a blessed time and that God would really speak to and through them powerfully. Um, we're going to read quite a chunk of scripture today. We're going to read from Mark 11. Here we go. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, 
Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. I have a three-year-old boy called Ezra who is an absolute terror. Um, but he always says stuff that surprises me all the time. He sees Daddy preaching a lot at our church. and um, It was a couple of months ago we, we had a Bible out on the kitchen table. And um, he picked up the Bible and he went, um, the people needed bandages. So Jesus gave them bandages and he helped them. Amen. And then he shut it. And I thought, wow, it's his first sermon. That's a pretty... It's surprising. It surprised me. He does other stuff that's a little bit more random and surprising. Yesterday, uh, we were getting something from uh, a big shop, and they sold ice cream. And they sold it in these huge cones where you get three scoops of it. And I, and I got to the front, and I said, he probably only needs two small scoops. If you give him one, it's not going to end well. But if you give him three... I'm not really being the parent I should be, so could you just give him two small scoops? And then as we were walking out the shop, he looked at his ice cream and he said, my ice cream said to me, I need three scoops. <laughs> and I said, what? Your ice cream spoke? He said, yeah. It said, I need three scoops. So we ignored the ice cream and carried on. Um, I think he was just trying his luck. But here we have some stories where Jesus probably a little bit less randomly, they're flippant examples, but where he is surprising, so incredibly surprising. Um, This passage is often called the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. In fact, it's labelled that here in the version of the Bible that we're reading from. And that mirrors uh, the Roman triumph where soldiers and generals who had led big victories for Rome would process into a city. And there's lots, as we, as we come towards Easter, there's lots throughout the passion narrative of Jesus that mirrors the triumphal entry of Roman generals and emperors. How they, they ride in on these big war horses with the slaves and the spoils of war behind them. You might immediately have to mind the passage in, in uh, Corinthians where Paul talks about being led out like slaves at the end of the victory march. But they would, they would march in and they would have the spoils of war behind them. And they would wear um, a toga picta. It was basically a beautiful purple toga that had gold embroidery. They would wear a laurel crown. They would come in and it would be a kind of religious celebration of the military victory. It would be this sense of the gods are surely with us. In fact, this person riding in is surely himself close to the gods or one of the gods or a son of God or all those Roman terms that they used to use. And you could probably pick up the robe that Jesus wore, the crown of thorns. And here in this story, we have Jesus coming in. He commandeers an ass like a king that no one else had ridden. It was pure. It was just for him. And when there's other pilgrims coming into Jerusalem for the festival on foot, as they had to do, Jesus rides in. And they call out, Hosanna! Hosanna! The son of David! This this king has come! He is surely going to set us free. Yet there's something in the nature of 
of a donkey rather than a horse. That uh, uh, an animal that emperors would ride on. It wasn't something that was kind of unseemly, but it wasn't something that you went to war in. Jesus is straight away playing with these expectations. He comes not on the agenda of other people. He comes on his own agenda. He comes not to conquer, but to give himself, to be conquered. Really dramatic imagery there that we see. Not the, not the expectation that they had. And then we have this other really strange story which is used by, by the evangelist Mark to explain some of this, uh, what happened, where Jesus does this prophetic action immediately around his interactions around the temple, where he sees this fig tree, and even though it's not the season for figs, he walks up and tries to get some, and then curses it when it's fruitless. This picks up uh, a passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 8, and there's a few little quotations and allusions to Jeremiah throughout this passage that I read earlier. Jeremiah 8.13, the Lord says, When I would gather, there were no grapes. What I gave them has passed away. There's this sense of Jesus is, is highlighting that he's come to the people of God. He's come to the promise of God. And they're not ready for him. And then he does this really dramatic action. He throws out the people from the temple. He turns over the tables of the money changers and the seats of those selling doves. And actually there's this sense in this that the priests are not ready for Jesus. Those who were the most religious, who were waiting, they are not ready for Jesus. And we have this quote. This house of prayer for the nations has been turned into a den of robbers. Again, a quotation from Jeremiah 7.11. But actually, that den of robbers isn't um, in the Jeremiah passage. It isn't about people uh, being financial robbers only. Actually, it's talking about God's people, God's priests have been with the Baals. They have robbed the poor. They have worshipped other gods. And then they have come to worship. Jeremiah, obviously the, re- the weeping prophet who saw the destruction of Jerusalem, someone trained as a priest from the priestly line who never got to fulfill his priestly duties because of the exile. What a prophet for Jesus to turn to. What a prophet for Jesus to explain his action in terms of as he comes into the temple and does this dramatic thing. Let's just zoom on in that a little bit because we've had this kind of conquering king, this son of David, and we, we often associate the temple with David, the one who prepared everything, the one who had the dream to give God a house. We have this fig tree representing Israel and its fruitlessness, and then we have this, this dramatic turning over of the tables and Jesus bringing condemnation, it seems, directly on the priests who aren't living out all the promises of God and yet are coming to worship him at other times. The thing is, the temple summarized so much of Israel's story. It inhabited the story and the, and the history and the salvation, the calling, the relationship of Israel. It was built by the monarchy, by those God had ordained. The times when Israel had felt most secure and prosperous 
were times when they had a secure, stable monarchy ruling from Jerusalem, worshipping at the temple. The temple was this place where the presence of God was felt and experienced. Not just in the Holy of Holies, but even those times um, we think of the dedication of the temple in Chronicles. We think of the glory of the Lord shining out. We think of those prophetic images in Isaiah of, of God's justice and his love radiating out from the temple to the ends of the earth. It was this center of God's very present, active in living with his people. And actually in the time of Jesus, and we see in this passage, it had become a financial, political, religious center. All of those were kind of so intertwined within the lifetime of Jesus that the kind of the power, when, um, when some Jewish people tried to revolt against the Roman Empire, um, just within the lifetime of Jesus, within the lifetime of his disciples, not long afterwards, one of the things they did is they minted coins that had a picture of the temple on rather than the head of Caesar. It had this iconic status at the center of all that the people of God were supposed to be. And actually in that, that kind of physical center represented the wider land that God had given, the promise that God had given to his people. But then we come to the final bit of the passage that we read. Jesus says, faith in God is such a powerful thing. If you have a tiny bit of it, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea. Notice that, that word is tauta in the Greek, this mountain. He doesn't say, if you say to a mountain, it can be thrown into the sea. He isn't just talking about the effectiveness of faith. He's saying faith is greater than this mountain. Faith is greater than this temple. Actually, faith, relationship with God, coming to God directly is greater than the people of Israel and all the story that had gone on before. It's greater than the priests and, and all the, the ritual and keeping of the law that had happened. It's, it's greater than the line of David and military victory and land. It's greater than that. He's speaking of authority, the same authority that people got from the temple. He's speaking of asking in prayer and receiving just like people came to the temple to pray and receive from God. The place where people came to petition him. He's speaking of forgiveness in this same passage. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. No, 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 Jesus, the way you find forgiveness is going to the temple and offering the right sacrifices. But here he says, just a tiny bit of faith is bigger than that. What a surprising story. More surprising than talking ice cream. The divine Jesus comes and walks amongst us. He walks among the big stones of the temple. And actually he replaces that with himself. With the living rock. He says if we come to him we come to him he is our source of authority our source of forgiveness our source of place he is the story of what God has been doing in reconciling a people and a world and the nations to himself he is it what a beautiful surprising story I just wonder today 
as we are surprised by that story again. I'm still surprised reading through the notes that I wrote about this, right? This is an astonishing thing. I wonder if maybe today we can go off from this place and as we come up to Easter, we could share that surprising story of Jesus with the world around us. See, the thing is, I think people have been to enough school nativities to maybe uh, jam through what they think are the details of baby Jesus coming to us. People get the cross and they think, maybe they've heard uh, evangelists talk about the resurrection, maybe they've heard us share about the resurrection, they think there's some trickery involved or confusion or we're mistaken. But actually all of that is informed by the way that Jesus embodies the fullness of the story and all that God had been doing in history up to that point. And that's the surprising thing. That he doesn't come as we expect. He comes and does something different. Maybe as we, as we lead up to Easter and Good Friday, you could share that surprising story with someone. Should we worship together? Let's stand now and pray. We'll, uh, we'll sing a final song. Jesus, you come to us not in a vulgar display of power, but you come to us in a, in a beguiling, peaceful way. In the words of the prophet Hosea, you woo us. You lead us to yourself, your romances. You draw our hearts to yours. Jesus, we thank you that we find our hope not in a house built by human hands, made of stones, piled up on top of each other. But we find our home built upon you, the living rock. Help us to gather together as your church, as living stones, as the new temple. A place for your spirit to dwell, a place for your justice to be done, a place for your reign to be enacted. May we share your surprising story out from this place. Give us the words to say, empower us with your spirit, we ask.